0: Hi Chris, how are you?
1: Good evening Rod. Yes, here we go again. I can't believe another week has gone by so quickly.
0: They just fly by, don't they?
1: So what are we now? Episode 44 on the 27th of November.
0: For 2022, absolutely we are. That's almost a whole year of this. That is, yeah,
1: 44 has gone pretty pretty quick, it's fair to
0: say. I, don't know.
1: Yeah, I think we can do 52.
0: I reckon we can, and who'd have thought we'd find enough stuff every week to keep talking about. And, and we occasionally get the odd bit of email about too.
1: That is true, even though I was saying just pre-show how quiet the tech industry is of late. I know it's Thanksgiving, but just generally, if Elon hadn't bought Twitter and done whatever he's done with it, I think there'd be even less going on in the world
0: for yeah, us to talk about. Yeah, Twitter is the gift that keeps giving. I mean, we haven't got a specific story on them this week, although we'll talk about them in an oblique sense. I saw a thing that he's taken the $44 billion company and sort of turned it down to a $5 billion company in the space of four weeks or something like that.
1: I think the problem is, if you report on Twitter, by the time the report's out, <laughs> the world's moved on. It's just so fast-paced at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, well, it's Thanksgiving in the States, so we have got American listeners. Happy Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Cyber Monday to you probably by the time you listen to this, so good for you. Shouldn't it be a happy Black
1: Friday week and Cyber Monday month? Or
0: <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's not confined to a day anymore, is it? I started getting offers a long time before we got to the, the Friday of it, so it is what it is.
1: It- which part of me likes, because you've got all the pressure, but also, when you I to buy stuff, are we going to wait for Black Friday, or do I start at the start of the week? I, I don't know what the answer is. No,
0: I haven't got a clear answer for that myself, I've got to say. It's
1: it's just one of those things. Shall we uh, dive straight into feedback?
0: Let's dive straight Go into fe- Follow up. So, follow up this week, I thought I'd give a little bit of feedback about the ARC browser I talked about last week, so this is this new invite-only browser that's Mac only, it's based on the Chrome engine that Google uses, so all the plugins and things that you might work for Chrome work with that, it's still got the same privacy focus, et cetera, et cetera. It's done in a very different way, there's sort of a lot of collaboration within it, they've got this sort of note-taking space called an easel that's part of it and all the rest of it. I've been using it a lot. There's not that much of a difference between it and Firefox initially as you get into it, particularly as I've become a tabs on the left-hand side guy rather than the tabs up at the top of the screen guy. Because let's face it, our screens are wider than they are tall. So it actually saves space to put the tabs on the left-hand side. I've been really liking that.
1: I'm completely on board with that, by the way. I think it is a better idea because it just gets lost at the top. Once you've got, what, five to ten open if you're using half the screen, they just become a sea of icons. Yeah, totally.
0: So. I've been quite enjoying it. I have set it as my default. It's been my default for the last week. Although that I've used the web quite as much as I would normally have done for reasons that may or may not get into as we go into this, but I haven't had all the time in front of a computer that I'd normally have this week for a variety of reasons. So the side tabs I've been liking, I had them in Firefox as well. There's one little feature that has immediately grabbed me, which we'd all do all the time, and that's grabbing URLs from web browsers and pasting them somewhere else. And there's just a button for that next to the URL bar on the left hand side. You click the button, you've got it, and there's actually a keyboard shortcut as well. So if you've got a bunch of tabs open, you just want to grab it, you don't need to double click in the title bar. You then don't need, you know, it's just click one button, bang, it's copied to the clipboard and you can paste it in. That in itself is great.
1: Is this ever going to come to the iPad? Is it even on the roadmap? I don't know. Super want to try it out.
0: Yeah, I I can understand, particularly, you know, it's invite only at the moment. I was lucky to get in because I've got an educational email address, so I got a a sort of priority invite for it. And to be fair to them, it was really quick. If you have got a Mac and you can get access to this, I'd thoroughly recommend you check it out. It's it's really, you know, that in itself is quite good. And then the other thing that sort of really stayed with me is that where the tabs are, so as the queue up on the left-hand side, you've got like an area for just open tabs underneath a fold, So as you're opening things, they appear there above the fold. You've got things you might want to store there, but you can create folders too, which is nice. So you can, so for this podcast, for example, I've put them into news and follow-up and games. So I've got all my tabs to hand for what's going on in in the podcast this time, but you can actually swipe between panels there as well. So you can have a panel of tabs for work. You could have a panel of tabs for shopping, or I've got a panel of tabs for the podcast. So, you can sort of switch modes really easily within it. And I quite like that separation. And it's very Mac like the way you actually two finger swipe between them all. Really impressive.
1: It sounds good. I want to try it, but I haven't really used my Mac in a month. You've still got a Mac in the house. still haven't used it. That's just sad. Bad, bad days. It does sound good. And I would love to. If it was on the iPad, I'd definitely be giving it a go.
0: Definitely. I would. I, but again, I'd recommend try and get on the beta if you can. I think even if you're not to the to an educational email address or something like that, you can get on the beta and get access to it fairly quickly. There's a couple of good little YouTube videos about it, which I will try and remember to put in the show notes. But based on what I've seen so far, I, I, like I say, it's default and I feel no compunction to actually switch away to something else. And just as another aside, and I don't know how well this works, actually. I don't tend to import stuff from old browsers and new browsers when I go, but I had to go this time. I ran the import wizard from Firefox to this. And it remembered all my history. So some of the sort of obscure websites I visit work when I'm trying to sign things off or our purchasing system or, or anything like that. The bookmarks were already there. The history was already there. So I could just start typing in the browser window and i it all remembered. That's really slick. Maybe they all do that. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I, don't, I haven't changed browser in a long time. I've been on Safari
0: since the iPhone came out. It's nice to see how the other half lives. sometime. What a shouted life. Something like that. Yeah so well,
1: that... it sounds good and let's let's keep monitoring and see how it because it's going to move to windows at some point I hope they don't get too lost in that one and I hope they built it with the iPad in mind
0: well and of course the other thing is how wedded are they to chrome because there's a lot of controversy at the moment about chrome and google moving the engine onto blocking a lot of the privacy protection tools so ad blockers and things like this because they want google's an advertising company they want to stop that happening so I wonder if they're keeping a future in mind where they can swap it to Gecko or they can swap it to Mozilla's engine. So stuff like that's quite interesting for people developing browsers.
1: And you say the words WebKit, which for those who don't know is what Apple uses in Safari and is what every browser has to use on the iPhone. And I don't agree with every browser having to not used on the iPhone, by the way. I think that is a step too far. Okay, shall we move on? Let's move on. Over to you. Uh, brief update on me, we've talked about note-taking endlessly on this show. I've actually sold my iPad mini to a friend of mine who wanted to try it out. I said, take it, try it, I've wiped it, so you go on. He loves it. it, seems to click for him, and I've stuck with my piece of pen and paper, because that clicks for me. So it's not a very exciting update, but it is an update nevertheless.
0: Well, no, I mean, it's it's learning, isn't it? that we, we talked to this before but it's about what works for you you know if a piece of technology is not working for you then it's not the answer if the answer is a, a piece of paper and a pen great go to it there's there's no problems with that at all did you have any feedback on the new note-taking tool and the ipad
1: Freeform. sorry i was pausing well i remember the name freeform is the name yeah it, it is pretty good it's nice it's just what you get in notes basically the expanding canvas is good but because i'm largely using my notebook which is a field notebook. That's so a really small notebook. I'm not overly using it as much as I thought I would because it just didn't click. The digital bit just hasn't clicked for me. And so I probably haven't used it as much, even though I raced to get it on my iPad mini, try it all out. And it just sat there. I just didn't want more devices. Like I was away this weekend. I've been traveling a lot. Just take my big iPad, just have one iPad now, one phone, done. I'm trying to live a more simple life.
0: I think. Fair enough. Fair enough. You'll, you'll be living in a yurt somewhere in, in Tibet before you know it. Yeah, it might be a bit extreme. They get good Wi-Fi. I've seen Doctor Strange.
1: As long as it's got 5G, we're away.
0: (laughs) Good stuff. No, that's good feedback. And just my sort of observation on note-taking is I'm still using Obsidian for my capturing URLs and and just doing things as I go. I've got a server list on there. For that particular use, it works really well for me. So uh, I'll be a bit more feedback on that in a couple of weeks, too, about how I'm using that.
1: Yeah. And that's probably something I do need to work on is where do I put things like that, that URLs and things that I want to keep for later? You know, I do have a lot of bookmark folders. I I say a lot, probably about 10 and I put bookmarks in there. But should I have something more digital around some notes? I don't know. and I haven't got the answer to that yet.
0: We need a workflow. Anyway, that's for another day. Next item. We were talking about Black Friday last week and, and the week before that, in fact. I think, as as we said at the top of the show, I think, you know, Black Friday has become a, a month or six weeks, not just a day anymore. Have you bought anything for Black Friday?
1: I may have got asked my wife to order me some AirPods Pro 2 off of Apple's website because you got a £50 gift voucher back, which... I thought was pretty good and is basically getting £50 off because that will pay my Apple One subscription for a month and a half. So it all, all goes in the, in our family pot of Apple expense, I guess. So I asked for some of those and I can't remember if I said about it, but I did buy some Eros Pros on the on the black friday deal on amazon which i got as soon as they announced it because amazon normally pretty good on their own stuff Going, this is the price it isn't going to change within the week and i bought three of those pros and i've put them around the house and, and they've actually got thread built in which is going to be interesting when matter comes along i don't know what that means i didn't buy the six E ones because they're a bit, bit too rich for my blood and i thought actually the six for all i need is probably plenty good enough so they're recommended for if you've got a gigabit internet coming in, which I have. And actually, even if I could get more internet coming in, like a two and a half gigabit pipe, I probably wouldn't do it. It wouldn't. I don't. I don't think the money to to get it upgraded any further would actually be a payoff for us because we can stream so much 4K stuff at the moment. Maybe in five years' time, when you want 8K, but we're just not there yet, are we?
0: No, we're not there yet. I mean it is interesting i i haven't put it in our media section but i had a quick look at a new show on bbc called the english which is emily blunt and i can't remember the other actor's name and had to go to the lg player to watch it because the apple tv wouldn't show an ultra hd my gosh that's a good looking show an ultra hd on my tv it's amazing
1: just now you only remember emily blunt in it so i was on the tube just this morning and they've got all the adverts and digital screens going up on one of the escalators. And it says the English, BBC, Star and Emily Blunt, and then list nobody else that's in it. And I thought that's a bit rubbish.
0: It is a bit rubbish, particularly as the, the sort of 30 seconds to a minute of I watched the mesmerizing performance as the as the chap playing the Pawnee sort of scout for, from the Native American tribe. It looks really interesting. So that's one that I want not add it to media this week because I've done enough media this week. But I think the week after is definitely going to be on there. But it looks stunning okay
1: well, maybe that's something else i can put on the list and not watch
0: fair enough yeah, we're good at building that up so i have got a black friday purchase actually i've got two one i'm hesitant to talk about in case my daughter listens to this podcast because it was shopping for her birthday so i'm not gonna i won't go into that this week I'll, I'll save that for a couple of weeks and tell you what we bought there
1: what are the chances your daughter
0: listening do you think slim but you never know she's in the bath upstairs at the moment maybe she's keeping an ear out but almost certainly not but i'll, I'll park that and there'll be something we talk about it's 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 Apple related say no more say no more and then the other thing i did buy was i bought they're called boost charge pros by belkin which is belkin's go at the magsafe charging puck for iphones so i bought two just to put a, or in the house i've i've got two of apple's products at magsafe chargers in the cars as i've talked about previously one in the van one in the mini stick them back of that drive along the only occasionally fall off most of the time they're held quite well with the magnet but I quite like this thing, but I noticed on Black Friday that the Boost Charge Flow Pro was on sale. It was £23, as opposed to Apple's £39.99, I think it is, for the Apple product. You've got a choice of colours. It comes in like a navy blue or white. It comes with a very long cable, unlike the Apple ones, which come with super short USB-C cables. It doesn't come with a charger in the box. And it comes with a little fold-out arms. So you can actually tilt your phone at an angle while it's charging, so you can see notifications as they come up, which the Apple one doesn't and charges it at the full 15 watts. So i had these liner in the house for a couple of days. They're excellent.
1: It looks kind of cool, actually. I've got in my in my bookmarks I was talking about earlier, I've got one in there for a MagSafe. I click on it every now and again to see if it's dropped in price, as in, it's still £39. I've bought those before for around £24, and I'm waiting for it to drop back down because I wanted one to throw in my bag because then I can take it for my bag and it'll be good for my AirPods and my phone because i barely ever use Lightning. This doesn't seem to be hitting the price points. This looks very good, though, for the money. Did you say it does or doesn't come with a three-pin plug? It doesn't come with a three-pin plug. Which is the same as MagSafe from Apple, which I think is a bit pants.
0: Yeah, so the other thing I bought that I haven't included in the show notes is an Amazon Basics USB-C PD charger, 20 watts, which was 9 99 I only needed one more of them because I had something else to plug it in for. It's a good price. It is a good price. And I think, I don't know if that was a Black Friday deal. It was just, it seemed to be the price for it.
1: Yeah, we've actually got a spare MagSafe charger just in front of the TV in, in, our, in our tech room, as it were. And I just leave that in. It's right next to the kitchen. So if anybody's phone is low, you can just pop it on there. It's right by the kitchen. Super easy to get to. And just having it lying around is yeah, really convenient. And I can imagine as the children get older and they start having phones and need charging, it will get used a lot more.
0: Well, what prompted this was a couple of the cables are wearing out that, you know, I don't know if you've get this yet, but you, you occasionally plug a lightning cable into a phone and it just, it looks like it's going to charge. It pings like it's charging. You can back in 20 minutes or so and it hasn't actually charged anything. Uh, the cables begin to fray and wear because of the angle you have them at after a while. So you kind of need to rotate your cables and I'm loath to buy... Many more lightning cables, knowing USB-C is coming, ding, 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 you know, for, for the future. So this felt a bit more future-proof to me. I don't think they're going to take MagSafe out of the iPhone 15 or 16 for a little while yet. We're probably okay with this. I know it's not as efficient. I know it's not as fast as plugging in the cable. But I think the convenience of it, and hopefully the longevity of it, so, you know, less e-waste, all that kind of stuff, than continually buying cables is a good thing.
1: Uh, i'm there i've got one right in front of me now i use it for my airpods all the time i use it for my phone when i'm at work just just to top it up i think it's fine i, I really like my, i'm a big big fan of MagSafe.
0: yep so that was that was what i bought for it next story next item of follow-up i should say read kept, read kit uh, read read kit on top of feedly
1: yeah so very minor just we were talking about rss and you wanted me to try net newswire i haven't done that yet but I thought I'd try out ReadKit, which is an app on the iOS devices. It seems pretty good. It's just had a major update. It was free to download. I'm toying with getting the, the premium version to try it out. But it just seemed it just worked. It kind of just plugged it in. And it and I quite liked how it worked in that it'd mark things as read automatically. You didn't have to manually do anything. And you could just see what news had come today. Because I'm not very good at keeping up to date with what I've read and what I haven't. I'm not like Twitter. But kind of like the app, I hate the name because it sounds like an API. It's not the best design thing in the world, but equally, it's not the worst design thing in the world. So I I find it quite interesting, and it just kind of clicked with me how it worked.
0: So what stopped you trying NetNewsWire?
1: I'm just being lazy. I just read the kit, just basically popped up, because it it just had an update. So was it try it out. And I thought, oh, I'll go try it out. So NetNewsWire is still on the list.
0: I don't understand. I'm I'm baffled, because I think NetNewsWire will do everything that you've just spoken about.
1: Yeah, but probably it just came up because it's uh, had an update. That was all. And uh, it just caught me at that moment when it was like, oh, okay, I've got five minutes. I'll give it a go.
0: Oh, okay. Rod's app of the week. Nobody pays attention, but that's okay.
1: I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> Fair anyway, enough. Anyway, it seemed a good app. And I was looking if there was just a tip jar. I didn't really want to subscribe, but I don't mind throwing the guy some a few dollars because I just think it, it is good. It seemed good on the face of it. So anyway, I will try and use Wire at some point. So I'll put it in my to do list. Like, I've got my notebook and I'll give it a go. Next up was also me, just very briefly on a shared photo library when traveling. So, my wife and I were away this weekend. We're using both our phones, took various photos, and my wife goes to me, Oh, can I have some of those photos you've taken? I said, Oh, they're all in the shared album. She goes, Yeah, but I can't get it. I said, Oh, no, it'll sync when we get to Wi Fi. And then I was like, Actually, we're not going to have Wi Fi for the next three days because we're in a hotel and we, we just use full 5G because we've got lots of data. And I was like, oh, That's a bit rubbish it needs to do some form of peer-to-peer or something when it's on charge at night. You know, you're both in bed, your phone's on charge. Why couldn't it do some form of peer-to-peer? Go, oh, look, I'm next to the person that you're sharing your photo library with. I'll pop the photos on their phone and then it will do a full sync up when we're back home. But she wants to post some, I think, on social media. And I thought, that's a bit rubbish because now I've got airdrop of the photos, which is defeats the point of shared photo library. And I thought, for all the good that it is, and I do think it is genuinely very good, and obviously, when you're at home, probably less of a deal because you just join the Wi-Fi. But I generally don't join guest Wi-Fis and travel Wi-Fis because I've usually got enough data. And I was in London, so the signal was was perfect.
0: I didn't realize that. So just a little bit of explainer-in-chief stuff. Shared photo Library is a new feature in this version of iOS, macOS, and iPadOS that if you have a family group, Largely, I think it's designed for, and you're taking pictures when you're off on a trip and all the rest of it. It will suggest that you create a shared album between you all where you can pull photos. I think you can share with friends as well. I don't actually know enough about it, I haven't tried it.
1: I think you should just invite someone into it. I should obviously invite my wife just so when we're out with the children, we can take photos and share them. But my brother's actually done the same, he's actually upgraded both of their phones because they didn't have a phone capable of running iOS 16 for him and his partner and he wanted it primarily for that reason because they've got young children and they take a lot of photos and it is a pain back and forth photos when they're around and about. He's going well with it, but he said it'd be great if it had a read-only option so you could invite somebody into the album like your children, but they could just have it in a read-only capacity because you don't want them deleting a photo of themselves or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, but as you've just said, you'd need to be on Wi-Fi to do anything with them anyway, so that's a bit of a limitation. Like I
1: said, I think most of the time it's fine. Like, I don't know, 300 days a year will be fine. And it's just those 50 days a year when you're away or whatever it may be that it won't sink them back.
0: Yeah, not ideal. Anyway, good feedback. Keep an eye on that one. I got to say, I haven't used it yet. Anyway, moving along, news and rumours. So let me get my organised. I'm not organised. <laughs> sorry. You all right? No. No, I'm right. Moving on, news you and rumours. make a timestamp? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll make a timestamp. Uh, moving on, should we move on to news? Let's do it. Good stuff. So this first story is about Alexa's misery deepens. And before I sort of read the headline for the story and all the rest of it, I did notice on BBC Two last night or the night before, there was an hour spent talking about how wonderful Alexa was about six o'clock, which I'll I'll try and dig out and remember I put in the show notes, if not this week for next week, about the development of Alexa and how it's been worthwhile and sort of the evolution of language over time and all the rest of it. So it's clearly something that's in the public eye. This isn't a nerdy tech thing you know, if mainstream broadcasters are making programs about things like Alexa, all right, it's BBC2, then there's a market awareness for this kind of device, isn't there? So I thought, to contrast that, if you look at the story from Ars Technica on Amazon Alexa being a colossal failure on pace to lose $10 billion this year, I just thought that's a really interesting juxtaposition, isn't it?
1: I concur with you Then Alexa's always been held up as kind of this poster child that you can do lots of things with it because you can add different skills, I believe, they call it like ordering a Domino's pizza or whatever. But it's really interesting you say that. that a, it was on TV and they're talking about it. B, article articles here saying it's a big 10 billion loss and they're selling all the devices at cost. And then if you open a tab and go to Amazon, they're selling the dot with less than half price. So it's normally thirty They're selling it sixteen ninety nine. So it's no wonder they're making their money on the devices. And to be honest, I don't think £40 pounds is a huge amount of money for, for the smart speaker that it was. So I think they're they're doing some of this to themselves a little bit with their eagerness just to sell things at cost. But I'm, I was reading the article and I'm not surprised, Though, but it doesn't sound like they had a plan really of monetizing it other than selling hardware, which I think Ticket does that. And it's got a very good reputation, but they never really got to the place where you're going to pay a, a recurring revenue or they're charging their partners. You know, maybe they should be doing an Apple on this and charging their Partners, you know, for every pizza that's ordered with Domino's or every, everything that's, that's ordered. I think any data on whether it's driving any more Amazon orders, you know, people talking to their election going to order some more cotton wool buds from Amazon, for example. Don't know. They would know that, obviously. So I'm not big surprised that, that it's not generating the revenue they wanted because I don't think they ever had that business model. And they've kind of come up with the technology and then they're trying to, I guess a bit like Facebook, <laughs> retrofit the model to it.
0: Yeah, it, it it's different I mean it's interesting. In the article they say every single plan they've tried to make money out of Alexa has failed. And and as you said, which is the interesting thought, is what they released was kind of the it's it's not evolved that much. The skills are interesting. You could plug stuff into it, you could plug your shopping list, and you could stand at the fridge and shout out things you wanted to add to your shopping list, or it would play radio, whatever. The basics of tell me the time, tell me a joke, start music, you know, play a podcast. That's table stakes at this point, and yeah, they were first to market, but none of that has really evolved to anything absolutely meaningful. And like you say, having a partner like I don't know, pick one, Volvo, I think, have a, have an Alexa integration, for example. Certainly, other motor Moto manufacturers do. It, what does that really give you over what's already in the car from your Tesla, from my BMW, for for whatever the other way around, your my Tesla and your BMW? It, it's not really it's not really bringing a lot to it other than that voice recognition, but everybody can do voice recognition. Even Siri's rubbish voice recognition is capable of doing that stuff these days. It hasn't evolved. They still continue to sell hardware. They're losing money. They're losing staff. And there's no money anywhere in this. So I'm not surprised that they're struggling so much to sell this.
1: Amazing it's taken them so long to figure this out. A couple of points, though. I think what is interesting is they say they've never made any money from it out of everything they've tried. I don't recall anything they've tried with it, really, like to generate revenue, because... You haven't heard, though, of a major, right, we're now moving the voice assistant in this direction, if you know what I mean. We haven't really seen that come out. So whether it's stuff they've tried internally that's never garnered traction with the outside world. Am I... Oh, sorry, gone.
0: No, well, there is the thought that they were recording your voice to see what was going on in your house you know, as, as, as the, um, the monetize you thing in the same way Google monetizes searches and what you're doing on on there and, and pitches things to you. If they'd had the ability to do that, which occasionally all these companies have been caught leaving the microphone open recording what's going on, then, you know, maybe that was a business model. They thought they'd be able to profile you more effectively or pitch you things as part of it. But as you say, that's a very undirected, hopeful approach, hopeful and, and, and very much scare quotes around that. Not a, here's how we're going to make money from this product.
1: Yeah, I think that's the problem. And um, it probably leads me into my second point, though. Is this just the end of people of voices in tubes being useful? Because I think we've all tried it. We've all realized it's not that fantastic. Like when you're in the kitchen and you go, hey, dingus, please add this to the shopping list. You know, I want garlic. My next go to the shop. Um, it just takes longer. And if you've got music on or you're having a conversation, it interrupts it, whereas you can take your phone out, add it quickly onto the list, you're not interrupting the conversation or if you've got music playing. I don't use the voice assistant, say, in my car oh. because I've usually got music on or a podcast. And I don't want to interrupt it. Or if I'm out for a walk and I walk a huge amount with my headphones in, I've got my watch on me, I've got my phone on me and I don't use any of the voice assistants because it's quicker for me to do it and it doesn't interrupt what I'm doing. And I think that's the big problem with voice assistants. You have to interrupt what you're doing and they're normally coming out of a speaker which you'll listen to someone. of them. And so the only thing I really use siri for on my home pods is placement i like that's the one thing i think it does really well because it just plays tunes it knows i like occasionally my kids will ta- yeah ask it a joke or tell it to shut up and that's probably about it other than that i just do it manually on my phone and direct the audio out of those speakers
0: yeah you're not wrong i think our interactions with these things is falling and you know we talked one of the things I was thinking about getting for Black Friday were Sonos, all the deals weren't good enough. And it was the micro- microphone-free ones I wanted. I didn't want any sort of voice assistant baked into them particularly. The only thing I show to my HomePods to do is to set a timer or occasionally play some music, and that's it.
1: Occasionally I do the shopping list thing, just occasionally. Like if I've got dirty hands or something, I'm like, oh, look, we need to get pasta next time. Yeah, that's about
0: it yeah it's it's not you can understand why the market's stalling and there's th- quite a staggering little fact here at one point alexa was getting a billion interactions a week but most of those conversations were trivial commands to play music or ask about the weather those questions aren't monetizable i totally understand that
1: no and that's what people want from it and you have to have that service now so it is strange that they They didn't really come up with a plan for this. But then, like I say, I guess you can say the same about Facebook. They didn't have a monetizable plan. I was watching the social network recently. And they made loads of money out of it, and it worked for them. But it just, I don't know. But I guess equally, like with Twitter, how did they let that part of the org get swell so much? I mean, that feels like mismanagement.
0: It does. But at the same time, you can understand how the new shiny gets the attention. You know, this this was the, going to be the next evolution in computing. As we've said with Facebook before, they don't own a computer system. You don't buy an Amazon phone or an Amazon laptop. You might buy it from Amazon, but you don't buy a you know, a branded thing. So this is them hopefully thinking they can get into the next space. And if the next space is about that, you can understand why Jeff Bezos, you know, as Zuckerberg is now with the metaverse, you know, focused on something that can potentially bring the next generation of revenue in. And it's, you know, sometimes you miss. Simple as that. Apple don't always hit. Google certainly don't always hit. And uh, I think Meta and Amazon have both failed in this space of what's coming next.
1: Given that your next point is about Apple getting patents on their car project, (laughs) it's probably right that we we segue into that because you've just talked about uh, Amazon missing. And apparently Apple have been pouring similar sorts of money into a car that's never seen the light of day.
0: Well, this is an, an interesting story, just in the last week, and it's, the story is Apple won 46 patents, and it's not just on lighting stuff, although some of them are to do with car lighting. So the one you've highlighted is a vehicle lighting systems with adjustable interior lighting. So there's two car patents in amongst these 46, and you know, companies file patents all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're coming to light, but... This is a lighting system that may be integrated into a seat, door panel, dashboard, or other interior portions of a system, such as a vehicle. These interior portions of the system may be illuminated light from a lighting system. Can you really patent that? How many companies have put a bulb in a la- you know a door panel or something like that? This this blows me away.
1: I agree. I was reading and going, How is that different to what nearly every car does? Because every car does something funky with the lights.
0: Yeah, it, it's crazy, but. It's suggestive of the fact that all this Project Titan, as it's called, the internal project to build a car, is still ongoing in some way. Let's face it, they could be filing patents and never planning to produce a car at this point because the team seems to go up and down and we haven't heard very, very much else other than the odd CarPlay announcement. But this just, I'm not going to run through all 46 patents, but it's for things like reporting incidents in maps. It's for, you know, a variety of other things within that. Is this patent or patent? It depends if we're American or British, doesn't it? I'd say patent.
1: I think I would as well, but i was just asking the question before we get feedback.
0: Well, patents are patents. Apple have fired, filed 46 of them, of which there are many, many. For example, Apple Watch optical, optical subsensor system. And this is just another way of embedding variety sensors into the Apple Watch, as they already do for pulse oximetry or heart rates or all the rest of it. And it's really you know, them claiming those things before they come to market. And then presumably... Aggressively enforcing those patents or patents at some point in the future. I just thought it was an amazing flood of patents. And if somebody's got a bit of time, they can go through all forty-six. But interesting that they continue to sort of move along in this space.
1: Do you think they ever tried to do a flood of patents, patents when they're trying to hide something in the mix? If you know what I mean, you know they they're trying to get one under the radar that people don't really pick up on. I don't know.
0: Yeah, they're not always the greatest thing, though. I remember them patenting, patenting. We're gonna, we're not gonna get away from this. The Touch Bar on the Mac Pro when it came, a Macbook Pro, I should say. So. You know, just because they patent-patent a thing, then it's not necessarily the greatest thing in the world, but it doesn't matter. If somebody else goes on to use it, they've got infringement. And then should the company start to lose money or become problematic down the road, then they can become a patent troll, can't they?
1: But they've got one here, though, about patenting the way you report an accident in Apple Maps. Like, Does that mean that Waze can't do that anymore? It just seems
0: bonkers to me. Uh, Well, this is the problem with patents, and I know that there's a lot of thought about should they be allowed at all because like software patents for example an algorithm to do a thing could be the same thing could be done with an entirely different algorithm and some things are so obvious they just shouldn't be patentable and something like that reporting an incident maps unless it's specifically the way that apple do it based in their maps application you know click here swipe there touch the other thing and that's how you do it I don't see how that could be enforceable if the Waze interface is different or they allowed you a voice interaction to it or, or however else they're going to go about it. Agreed. Yeah,
1: I can't believe you'd even bother doing it, to be honest with you. Like, I'm going to tap a button to report something and I, I click an option.
0: Anyway, I thought it was interesting that they're still doing this and it's just, you know, another aspect of the company that we don't talk about an awful lot is not only they, they make money and violate your privacy lightly, they, you know, continually push away at patents and patents and, and, and try and sort of, keep what they have developed or are developing, that does have the odd, odd nugget of information about upcoming stuff buried within it, but it's interesting to see what's going on on a different level.
1: Agreed. Next one.
0: Next story is a story from The Register, and I thought it was an interesting perspective on Apple and device usage and e-waste and all that kind of stuff. So the headline of the story is if Apple's environmental rhetoric is meaningful, Macs and iPads should converge, which we've talked about on this very podcast actually before now. But this is a, a big think piece by a journalist at the register, Mark Pesky. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. Considering we can't pronounce patents or patents, I think we might be struggling with that. But Mark has written a very thoughtful piece about if they really mean what they say about you know, uh, recycling components within it uh, for things that are disposed, getting the, the materials back out of them to, to put into other devices, stopping shipping power bricks because there's so many of them out there, etc., etc., etc. Then why can't an old iPad run iOS, Mac OS and why can't an old Mac run iPad OS? It doesn't have a touchscreen, but, you know, they've proven these days with touchpads and things like that, that actually they've become interchangeable to a certain degree. Uh, and I've got yeah, something... And the thing that really sort of spoke to me was he started using an M2 iPad, and I know you have as well recently. And that's the thing that sort of pushed him down this route, is he's holding this amazing piece of hardware in his hands that he knows the chip in it can do fantastic things based on the laptops. If he wanted to run macOS on that, why is he being restricted to not being able to?
1: And equally, I guess, if you wanted a, a proper iPadOS laptop, why can't I stick up my M2? So exactly. I'm... And my M2 MacBook Air, sorry. So I'm, I'm there. I wouldn't mind to see a bit more interoperability. I largely just use iPadOS, as I've said before, because it's um, usable at work. I probably would use a Mac more if we could use them at work, but we can't. So I pick the best of what I'm allowed.
0: And why couldn't you dual boot?
1: Or well, you pick. Yeah, that would, that would be, that would tell me today I'd go and buy a brand new, probably MacBook Pro, if I could dual boot the thing, because I do want to flirt a little bit with Xcode from time to time. But equally, I, would happily reboot into my work mode for me which would be largely my ipad
0: totally if they charge another 500 quid premium to people on either device to say right it's now a dual format device it can be a you know a mac mac when you want it on an ipad possibly you wouldn't even need to dual boot with a certain degree of virtualization on the system either you know you could actually do it really really quickly ipad in a window yeah
1: that'd be a device would be very interesting
0: yeah it would be and Walks the walk and talks the talk. Sort of walks the walk of what they've been talking, effectively, doesn't it? That you know, this the ultimate device is. We don't care what device you buy from Apple, as long as it's an Apple device. Fine, put your money where your mouth is. Let us put what we want on it. You make this excellent software. Excellent software, debatable from time to time, but you know you make this good software that's got this particular thing that is best on iPad OS, which you know we, you you talk about week in week out on this show. That for example, Outlook, for example, is a, an exemplar application that you love losing, using on your iPad. let you get all the things you want to get done done. Great, if that's the ultimate version of Outlook, having that sort of touch interface to it, give that to me on my Mac, and then you want to try out some of the apps I've been recommending over over the weeks, like Arc the Arc browser. Great, I want to do that too. Why not? I'm there. Let's do it yeah all right. who's convincing Apple then?
1: That is an interesting question. I wonder if uh, somebody a journalist will ask Tim Cook that one day.
0: Well, I think they probably should. So again, the the register is not a mainstream site. It's about as mainstream as tech sites get, I think, for rumor and gossip, but I just thought it was an interesting thing piece and worth a read.
1: Yeah, no, agreed. I agreed. I think it is an interesting thought. I think they they're trying to keep it separate, aren't they? But yeah. now the iPad can do more and more and more, like the Mac, it does start begging the question. they are converging.
0: Yeah, and as the chips are the same ones in them, they don't even have that get-out-of-jail-free anymore where they go, well, oh, the chip doesn't have enough RAM or it doesn't have enough, it's the same chip, so, you know. Good, okay, I'm glad we had that. Uh, so the next story is about, we're talking about the Competitions and Markets Authority quite a lot on this podcast. So this is the UK Competitions Market Authority investigating Apple and Google's stranglehold over the mobile market. So this is just another extension over what we've been talking about the last week.
1: Yeah, I did read a bit about this, but... Have I clicked on it? Yes, I did click on the right link. So I did read a little bit about this. and everybody loves the CMA; they seem to be rearing their head. I don't know.
0: I don't know what to say about it anymore. It's just, uh, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts. I think it's it's nothing out with we've already said in many ways. You know, the EU have said we were talking about the legislation that they passed a couple of weeks back about app store should be interoperable, messaging services should be interoperable, but so you shouldn't have this sort of stranglehold. But they do have this kind of stranglehold. There is no alternative. Our disappointment in Apple over the last two weeks, certainly, in the privacy thing, there is nowhere else to go, really. Google is not a better alternative. At its best, it's exactly the same as Apple, just with a slightly less friendly face on it, I'd say.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, this is no different to back in the 90s, the 2000s. It was Mac, or it was Windows, and that was pretty much it on the desktop. You've now got Android, and you've got iOS and that's pretty much it. Obviously, Microsoft had a, had an attempt and it didn't work, and they didn't get they didn't garner enough market share. There was enough room for three. Two does seem like the right number. I do think though, and they do reference WebKit specifically in this article, which is what Safari's built on. I think they shouldn't force all mobile browsers to have WebKit. I think that is wrong. I think both both companies should allow for you know every web browser to be on every platform. I think that's got to be the right thing. And I think you know you, you want to encourage Safari to be on Android and you want to encourage Chrome and all the others to be pro- natively on iOS devices with their native rendering engine. That would be my view on this one.
0: I think the fundamentals are the, that, it, that it's right that the platforms shouldn't be locked down to such an extent that you can't make consumer choice. And if consumer choice is you want to run your Arc web browser on your Android phone or your iOS device, you should be allowed to. The device manufacturer, as we've talked about before, should go, we prefer you got it from here, our store, but of course you can download another store and get it from there, or you can sideload it and put on what you want. You know, The devices, particularly iOS devices, are meant to be sandboxed in such a way that it's impossible for bad acting apps to get out of memory anyway. Fair enough if you're... If you're duped into giving credit card details or something to an, you know, an inappropriate thing, and but you've ticked the box to say no. I wanted this from another app store. I've sideloaded myself for the way forward. But uh, what it, what this story says to me is that all of co- all of the you know governments are coming to the point now where they're right enforcement is going to happen unless you change things quickly, and it's, so it could be as simple as something like, well, why has everybody got use of the Safari engine? You know, that's 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 step one, but the, it's not very many steps down the road to, well, why has everybody just got to use iMessage or why can't the Epic Store get installed on your platform? Why It's Mes- gone too far, hasn't it? It has gone too far. And, I, you know, Google are no better in this marketplace either. They've both shown a rampant design. It's like the Wild West, isn't it? Where the cowboys or the Native Americans. You know, they need to get on and figure things out. Or they've got all the oil in the sort of first days of the gold rush or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I yeah i agree i think they've locked it down too much and it might end up hurting them longer term because they get forced to open up wider than they would have done i think if they used a bit more self-regulation yeah
0: anyway it's just it's just yet another another shoe to drop isn't it in the in the ongoing slow motion fa- failure of apple to deal with all this pent-up consumer and governmental demand that they change their business slightly
1: yeah agreed agreed should we move on to apple buying man united
0: well, this is a non-story really, isn't it? I just thought it was an interesting title as much as anything else. So this was a story that came out in the week, I think from The Sun or The Star or one of those, The web- Daily Star in the United Kingdom, that Apple has reportedly expressed an interest in buying Man United, who's a, a soccer team for our American cousins here in the United Kingdom. Just about to be sold or be in the process of being sold by the Glazer brothers. They've had a, quite a bit of controversy recently with, I'm sure my football knowledge here, Ronaldo, or is that Man City.
1: Come on, you it, was man, it was man united man
0: united ronaldo was a football player refusing to play for them saying some sort of controversial things in interviews so they're a very valuable team it's a very valuable brand you can understand why a large company might want to be associated with something like that particularly if they're slightly on the cheap particularly a company that maybe has a football show but it's nonsense there's no way apple's going to buy a football team is there
1: i'd like to say not but i think it is stupid i think it's you know, it's kind of showing that a company's getting too big for its boots because they can just literally buy anything at this point. But then they start making their own TV shows. They don't make their own music, but they've started making their own TV shows. That you know, they're, they're publishing books. They're doing everything, aren't they? So it could happen, but I think I don't think it would be right. Yeah, it so, could be the everything company.
0: So they're quite cheap really manchester united they're only 8.25 8.2 billion i mean that's that's less than amazon lost for uh, for the alexa divisions we were just talking about there so apple could afford them
1: I, I don't even know what apple's cash reserves are but i'd imagine that is a metaphorical drop in the ocean
0: if we're talking 100 million quarters for apple you know i think that's absolutely nothing for them
1: it would even be an anomaly on the graph
0: I, it does make me think that the reason i don't take this seriously is News is stating that they increasingly want to broadcast sport on, on the Apple Network, as, as we see with Major League Baseball on a Friday night. If you own a club, it doesn't seem right that you'd also then be in a position to broadcast sport. It feels like a massive conflict of interest. It totally does. And I'm sure it's not impossible that, I don't know, very, Ted Turner, whoever's owned the networks in America in the past, has, hasn't had stakes in various American football clubs or baseball clubs or, or whatever. But I think a stake in a club of a couple of percent it's probably shared amongst a number of clubs, not just one. So this this is why I sort of discount this.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's I don't think
0: we'll go anywhere. Anyway, fun story.
1: Yeah. Back to Microsoft then buying not buying Activision.
0: Yeah, this is just, again, it's the sort of third strike for them, isn't it? We had the Competitions and Mergers Authority, we had the EU, and now we've got the FTC in America also saying, we don't like the look of this Activision-Blizzard-Microsoft merger that's that's ongoing. So this doesn't feel like it's going to happen at this point to me.
1: I kind of agree. I did listen to Decoder again, which had Phil Spencer, the CEO of Xbox, on it, and they did quote him as saying, as long as there's a PlayStation, they're shipped to it. So, you know, that's not legally binding, but everybody's getting very very hell-bent on this one. I mean, I'd imagine, though, Sony's making up so much noise around this that surely at some point they're going to try and buy a company and Microsoft are going to get them back.
0: Yeah, well, this turns into the next story as well, so we can sort of treat the two things as one. And, And the second story is Sony throwing Battlefield, the Battlefield series, which I've talked about in this podcast, under the bus as it fights Microsoft Activision purchase. So Sony really doesn't want this to happen because they say call of duty is not replicable it's too entrenched for any rival no matter how well equipped to catch up and there's definitely something in that you've probably seen on on national tv in the uk all the adverts for call of duty this week call of duty modern warfare 2 has been advertised everywhere i may have watched more tv than you this week i think
1: there's not much terrestrial tv or sky tv that happens in our house if i'm honest a lot of it is
0: just streaming apps well it's been on youtube as well anyway it's a thing so Sony's saying that the Battlefield series, which is an open competitor, it's Electronic Arts, I think, are the people who own the Battlefield series, isn't the same as having Call of Duty. And it's not, because if you're talking about tent poles, Battlefield may have been a competitor, but it's always been the underdog. But for the, you know, a manufacturer like Sony, just say it's not good enough. In the light of all the competitions and mergers authority, the FTC thing we've just talked about, I, I feel there's too much stacked against Microsoft now and Activision Blizzard for this to go ahead.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's a lot lot of smoke and noise, but like I say, you can see it's happening again in the future, but the tables will be turned. It was interesting, though, Sony also said, oh, our PlayStation Plus thing is rubbish and Microsoft's is amazing. So they're, they're just throwing each other under the bus and Microsoft going, oh, you get more exclusives on PlayStation than we do on xbox you're much better than us you get loads more exclusives by like an order of five you know magnitude of five times as many or something well so they're just picking holes in in themselves
0: which is a bit it's a bit hard isn't it no it's not i kind of get it It, it, in the sense that we've just talked about uh, apple and google going you know don't look over here you know we've got competition it's over there look it's google look it's apple we've got closed app stores the next sequence of people that have closed app stores are Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo. So they don't want people looking at them too closely at this point. Going, hang on, why can't I get Microsoft Games Pass for for PlayStation? And equally, maybe people on Microsoft's side of the fence would want, you know. So I su- th- I suspect this is all around the oh no, that's all fair competition here. We can't have too many murders. It will make it unfair, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's my sort of feeling for where this is coming from.
1: Yeah, okay. I can kind of understand it. But just, I just felt a bit dirty to me that they're just pointing out their own flaws.
0: Well, it is what it is. It, it, but it, it's interesting. It is interesting. It's, there's a lot in play at the moment in the gaming space. And it'll just be interesting to see where it falls.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Though. It possibly won't go through, but I'll bet you 10 quid Xbox try and buy something. We've got a and few bets. <laughs>
0: we, need to, we need to write them down. We can't keep having these bets and there being no consequences.
1: If only we had a note taken out that we could
0: put things if we had time to do it, we need somebody to listen. And go, if a listener wants to take that up, please, please get in touch with us and tell us what bets we've made. Uh,
1: so our last bit of news was about iCloud for Windows showing other people's pictures. This one I thought was not a good look for Apple. And there's kind of two issues here. There's one where people are seeing other people's videos or pictures in their in their iCloud photos, in essence. And the other one was that some people are shooting videos on their new iPhone. 14 pros and it's coming back black and stuttery so it just it seemed like those two issues conflated together but they have just had a recent update haven't they which enabled microsoft's native photos app to see your iCloud photo library so whether this is all, all linked you know together i don't know
0: the worst thing is you're syncing in with your new windows just made app that we've covered on this show windows for iCloud and you're seeing someone else's photos that's just Not unforgivable good. unforgivable You know, aren't they meant to be encrypted, locked to your account, et cetera, et cetera, in some way, shape, manner, or form?
1: Yeah, it's the one thing that can never happen, especially photos, because, you know, it could be photos of your children playing. It could be photos that you don't want anybody else to see. It could be photos of
0: yourself playing, you know. there's, There's all sorts of reasons you wouldn't want to see that, you know. Agreed, it's and, not right on many levels. And what happens if you get some celebrities' photos? You know, there's there's already been enough scandals with with photos being stolen off iPhones and iCloud accounts for for celebrities and being passed around the world. That something like this just makes it potentially happen again. There's quite a lot of Windows users with iPhones, I suspect.
1: Yeah, I wonder how many people actually install this. I'd love to know the install base of the iCloud thing for Windows, but it's obviously enough that they're starting to make a bit of noise about it, and there's probably more because they recently made some noise about it saying it now works natively, so it's just bad all around, isn't it?
0: And again, silence from the company. You know, Shouldn't Apple apologize in some way, shape, or form for this? Is saying nothing good enough in this day and age?
1: Um, yeah, that's the worst, is nothing. they need to respond with something, even if it was a, this this looks awful, we're really sorry, but we don't know, we're looking, we're investigating. Surely something is better than literally yeah. zero. A,
0: a very small percentage of users, 0.0% of users have been affected according to our investigation. You know, we'll, more news when we get it. But, but no, nothing. Yeah, it's not right. That really cheeses me off. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think this is just another example of them not getting this right. And again, the company that's meant to be sorting it. We kind of hold the fingers to the fire with this. And I think rightly you know, your data is secure with us. They show a padlock in their adverts. Trust Apple, trust Apple. And then stuff like this happens. Not good enough.
1: Yeah, agreed. This is, they've they've gone a, a line too far here.
0: Definitely. So bad. Okay. I think that'll do us for the news unless I've missed a story.
1: Uh, we've gone long, so I would agree.
0: Okay, moving on. Media. I'm going to talk a lot this week. Do you want me to just kick off and you can butt in, or have you got anything you you want to particularly draw attention to?
1: No, I. I, Well, the only thing I'm going to say, and I'll do my bit first, is Slow Horses season two comes out on Friday. I'm quite looking forward to that. And I don't know if you saw it, but oh, who's the fine actor that plays the lead? The name is Gary Gary Oldman. Oldman. Sorry, he he has said that if Slow Horses is the last thing he does, he'd be quite happy with that. Which is a shame because he's fantastic. But you know what a career.
0: He is fantastic. He's been in all sorts of things. He's been terrific. He was even creating Friends back in the day. I noticed he's doing the voiceover for the advert as well. I had not noticed that. No, if you watch the advert, uh, the trailer again, you know, Slow Horse's season two, it's definitely Gary Oldman doing the voiceover. Yeah, I'm quite excited about this. I actually hadn't watched the trailer till very recently, and we've criticized Apple in the past for not publicizing these shows well. It's been all over YouTube. I've been off a lot this week, which is why I've got so much media to talk about. Been off work this week, so I've had time. This was notable to me that it was there.
1: I was in London and you could see it in like a bus stops, there were posters and I was on the tube and things. And it, it, I sort of splashed around a lot more than I was expecting, but it, some of it's obviously set in London. So it's, you know, know your audience, I guess. I think it looks fantastic. I'm This and Succession are the two things I'm looking forward to watching.
0: No, there's enough shows on Apple TV now that I think we talked about it before that I would debate giving up an Apple TV subscription at this point. There's too much stuff on there I enjoy. Agreed. Between the, this and For All Mankind for me and Foundation when it comes back uh, uh, and others. And actually... Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet, Season 3 came out, which was a, a show that I loved in Season 1 and kind of fell out of love with in Season 2. So I kind of need to make an effort to watch that too.
1: We're just listening stuff I've never seen.
0: It's very good. It's by one of the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
1: Oh, okay. I haven't uh,
0: seen that either. Who, who bought Wrexham Football Club with Ryan Reynolds, Tim McElhinney. Funny guy. Talented.
1: Now that is a show I do want to watch
0: yeah that's on disney plus anyway that's none of the things i want to talk about that i've watched this week so i will quickly fire away then i am looking forward to slow horses season two also the andor season finale came along have you watched any more andor yet well i'm very disappointed once you've finished blitzing taskmaster or whatever i've, I've addicted to, to you, you two at the moment you must watch andor it's by far and away the best star wars thing in a very long time
1: i'm part way into it i love it but i have not moved in a month i'm probably have to start
0: again You might have to, but I I thoroughly endorse doing it. The acting is phenomenal, the scripting is amazing. They've set up so many things for a season two within it. It, It's it's just an extremely well done show from top to bottom. I have no complaints about it at all. Yes, boss. Good. Moving on. uh, and a change of pace is I watched the Jimmy Savile, a British horror story documentary on Netflix, which was a tough watch in places, I must say. I didn't grow up in the United Kingdom, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I came back to this jimmy savile character and i was thinking why is everybody watching this guy there's something just deeply odd and creepy about him which is easy for anybody to see after the fact but he was deeply odd and creepy you know even before all these revelations came to light
1: oh yeah he was definitely in a in a different place but i guess that was part of the appeal i was aware of him as a child but i don't think i was overly aware how weird and creepy he was but equally i wasn't I wasn't his biggest fan either. It was just somebody that was on TV when I was a, I don't know, a 10-year-old kid, I guess.
0: But it, it's a two-part thing. It's two one-hour parts. There's one sort of setting the place of why he was where he was on British television and what he did on the BBC and the fact he'd get 40 million viewers a week to one of his shows and things like that. And then the second part with hints of, you know, there's an investigation going on or this wasn't quite right or or all the rest of it. And then there's the second part, which is going through what he did to people and reports from the victims and and, and how it all came to light and all the rest of it. And just the thing that staggered me, I, I had an inclination about all the involvement he had with hospitals it wasn't just on tv shows it was psychiatric hospitals it was spinal injury patients it was all sorts of stuff that he was just more or less given a free pass to and then the other part of it was his influence with the establishment so margaret thatcher thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread pushed three or four times to get him a period which was not back because there were these rumors floating around that it wasn't quite kosher and then with the royal family as well so his biographer showing all these letters from the royal family, asking Salville's advice about things like, what should I do in the wake of the Lockerbie disaster? And
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was really quite opening to me that that I, I obviously knew what scumbag he was, but it's genuinely, just to, to learn how pervasive his influence was across media, society, and government, it's really just, it was a, a revelation.
1: It's not right, is it? But... Oh how did it take so long to be all uncovered? And there's a lot of smoke and yet nobody, nobody found the fire until it was too late.
0: Oh, well until he was dead. And then the, I mean, the interesting thing is, well, they play some of the interviews and some of his answers to questions. Cause people knew he was dodgy and they'd ask him a leading question about something. Louis Theroux most recently, I think was one of the people who, who features in the, in the, in the thing. And he always gave the same answer. They'll catch me on Thursday, you know, or oh, they'll find out on Thursday or the trial date comes up on Thursday. And he said it, like, almost every interview author his life, he knew he was a bad one, you know, and was telling people he was. It was almost like he wanted to get caught. It is it's fascinating and well worth two hours, I'd say, watching it. I think I might struggle with the tough bits. It is a tough bit. There's a, No, there's a multitude of tough bits, actually, but it, it's it's definitely an interesting thing to watch. And I, I do quite like a documentary, I must be said, but yeah, not, not a pleasurable watch, but, you know, one of these things that I think you'll you'll benefit from having seen.
1: Yeah, I like a documentary. I love stuff based on real life. My, I prefer the more success stories that <laughs> are hard to put off. But yet yeah, they managed to do it because they all tried really hard and they did something amazing, whereas this, I think, will just annoy me.
0: Well, yeah, it is what it is. But that's my phrase of the week, by the way. <laughs> anyway, moving on. That's that's one of the things I watch. So one thing, and I'm afraid I tried to watch and gave up on very, very rapidly it's called Echo 3 which is a new program on Apple TV plus did you see the trailer for this
1: yeah i've seen it all oh, right it's kind of my my output of the trailer i think and if i get 5 minutes i was going to watch it but sounds
0: like i shouldn't bother no, don't bother. Or runaway screaming. And it's a shame because it's got Luke Evans in it, who is a, a a good Welsh lad from around this neck of the world. I think he comes from Pontypool or Pontypree, I forget which. Was beetle-barred uh, beetle in the Hobbit films and has been in a whole bunch of stuff. He was gassed on in Beauty and the Beast, live-action version of Beauty and the Beast. Terrific actor, beautiful singing voice. Great. What a dreadful show. Managed to bore me with like an SES, Navy SEALs-type invasion thing in 20 minutes.
1: No way you'd expect the words boring to be used in an SAS sort of show.
0: No, and you, and you look at the headline for this from the Academy Award winning writer of The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Both good things. I really enjoyed The Hurt Locker. I really enjoyed Zero Dark Thirty. This is rubbish.
1: <laughs> well, that's disappointing.
0: Yeah, don't waste your time. Move swiftly along. Pay no attention to it.
1: I think I've got a lot of good TV to catch up on.
0: You certainly do. Anyway, moving on. I also happened to watch this week Spider-Man 2 again. This is the one with Alfred Molina in it and uh, Tobey Maguire. What a terrific movie that is. It really stands up. All the CGI, everything in it really stands up in this world of Marvel movies.
1: I've not seen it in about 20 years when we were at university, I think. I liked it when it came out. I liked the first one. I don't think I really watched the third one, if I remember correctly. I've never seen the amazing ones. I've seen some of the more recent ones, but um, I liked Tobey Maguire. I thought he was a good actor. He was never in enough stuff for me, kind of, was in a few things and then just disappeared, largely.
0: Yeah, that's a fair assessment. He was in Seabiscuit and a couple of other things. Decent actor, really good as Spider-Man. I think good Peter Parker, not great Spider-Man. And then the Amazing Spider-Man films were good Spider-Man, not great Peter Parker. They Sort of got the balance wrong. And then Tom Holland has managed to bring them together. If you have any intention of watching the latest Spider-Man film, far, no,
1: well, no, far way, no, way
0: home. no Way Home is okay. the latest one. Uh, this
1: may mess your mind, but I've seen it at the cinema.
0: Right. It definitely helps if you've seen Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man before it, because there's a lot of linkage between them.
1: Well, I've seen some of them. I
0: took four four 10-year-old kids to see it. Fun. You wouldn't have got everything out of it, though. So without spoiling Spider-Man No Way Home, Spider-Man 2 is great. It really, really does stand up. Even even the CGI and stuff, which is very early CGI, is is good. And it's directed by Sam Raimi, who people know for the Evil Dead and horror movies as much as anything else. He also directed a more recent Marvel movie, Doctor Strange 2 is his. Those horror tropes he gets into it, particularly with uh, Doctor Octopus's arms and when they're about to take them off sort of the the sharp cuts to people's eyes and sort of the stabbing bit of it and all the rest of it. Beautifully done. Great film. If you haven't seen it in a while, I'd thoroughly recommend watching it again.
1: Yeah, I do like a bit of retro film watching, so maybe I should go back and watch it. And he did direct Spider-Man 1 as well, and
0: 3. Yeah, 3 was panned, they tried to bring in too many bad guys too quickly. Apparently it was pushed on him by the studio, by Sony Studios, rather than something he'd have chosen. He'd have settled on just one bad guy rather than the four or five they sort of cram into it. So that kind of finished the Spider-Man franchise off and they rebooted it then as the Amazing Spider-Man.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense.
0: Good, moving on. I also started watching The Long Way Round again, which is Ewan McGregor and Charlie Burman's bike trip around the world, starting in London. And the idea is they're going to ride across most of the planet until they get to new york with the exception of getting a boat when they get to the eastern part of russia going across docking in alaska and then continuing their trip down through canada along through canada and then down through america still good hasn't held up quite so well in in, uh, a spider-man 2. it must be said it wasn't filmed with such a big budget they they, it's it's a bit of an interesting watch with a more modern sensibility the way they treat their wives is not right. <laughs> it's just not right. You know, the, we're boys, we're about to go off and play and all the rest of it, and the little women can stay at home. That's not so great. But having said all that, the rest of it is still pretty good. You know, it's it's if you're expecting sort of Top Gear style shenanigans, it's not that. It's really just going and meeting people and the experiences they have and all the rest of it. And that part of it is really very good.
1: I think what you're saying about it not holding up kind of makes sense because I think we've... We take it for granted now because you do watch top gear now or a TV show and it's shot in amazing quality. And you know, it's just a lot more I guess a lot more top gear, you know, top equipment, I guess, used to film just mundane TV shows now. Whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they just didn't have it. You didn't have the ability to shoot 4K, whereas you can shoot 4K on your iPhone these days. So I I'm not surprised that the picture quality didn't hold up. It's the same when you go back and watch Grand Designs or whatever it may be. Whereas yeah, in twenty years' time, if you go back and watch Grand Designs, it probably would have been shot in four K and it will all look good. And you're right about in old films, you do pick up on terminology used in films and yeah, people not treating people how you think they should be treated now because the world has improved over it's certainly over the last twenty years or so, if not over the last forty years. So some some films are hard to watch because it's just like, oof. and I'm sure when I start watching some classic films with my children, I'm going to be pointing out that you no, know, that was you know views of the world at the time and not what you should be saying
0: or doing now definitely and i don't in some ways i don't mind that it's like a it's a historical document of a a point in time and and documentaries even more so than film i think because they show real people doing real things so it it, it, i think it's good to have these kinds of things and you know they're perfectly affable blokes and let's face it ewan mcgregor is a massive film star even to this day he is so he's had a busy life hasn't he he really has he's done lots of things but i that's It's interesting that's what came over to me over the first couple of episodes and you know as a fellow Scotsman from you know not a million miles away from him also rides motorbikes I have a certain I identify with Eud McGregor an awful lot train spotting was a very influential part of my you know of me growing up and all the rest of it so I've followed Eud McGregor with interest over years and having watched the most recent thing which is Long Way Up which is also on Apple TV plus which is where you can get this it has changed you know you can see the way that they've they've come along with the world as well but just as that it's a slightly uncomfortable snapshot into the way that, that you know people used to be and you're, like, you're right thankfully in many ways the world has improved yeah we won't touch on global warming and all the other bits and pieces but hopefully people's attitudes to their wives lovers brothers g- girlfriends others you know has, has certainly come a long long way and um yeah well you would hope so anyway but it's still entertaining
1: yeah, agreed. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to go back and watch I did
0: enjoy a long way. Up, actually. I thought it was fantastic. I think set them in context. And my, my intention is to go through all three seasons again, actually, and just sort of let it wash over me. I have hankering for travel at the moment, I think. I think that, that's sort of helping satisfy it. And what is quite cool is Ukraine is quite heavily featured in it. And from Ukraine, they go to Russia. And in the light of what's happened in the world today, that's quite a sort of wistful experience as well, to see them going through Ukraine and meeting the people and how how it relatively unmodernized Ukraine was at that point.
1: Yeah, boy, probably makes this year a bit harder in real life, doesn't it?
0: Definitely. Anyway, moving along to something a bit more fluffy and what you can consume in one hour and not think very hard about it is Attack of the Hollywood Clichés, which I found on Netflix. And it's Rob Lowe just going through the, the bits and pieces in films that we've all seen time after time. You know, the white saviour comes in and explains how to do things or the action hero or the one that I really enjoyed was Funerals. Why is it when they visit a graveyard, they stand so far away from the funeral when the funeral takes place, like the protagonist will be like a mile back and then they show the Need for Speed, not the Need for Speed, Fast and Furious films with Vin Diesel watching Paul Walker watching the funeral and they're like, how ridiculous can it get? It's in a very tongue-in-cheek way. If you've just want, you got an hour and you want to smile about some things you see in films all the time, it's really well done.
1: Maybe I need to fire up Netflix an hour. Sounds like something I could do.
0: Yeah, you, can, you can sacrifice an hour. And Rob Lowe's always very watchable
1: yeah he's fantastic
0: he is so just to finish i should probably finish in the lighter thing i haven't scheduled these very well i actually watched a relatively new film which is called uh, emily the criminal my youngest daughter's name is emily i hope there's no sort of crossover there and i mentioned train spotting earlier and this feels a bit like a modern take on train spotting without all the drug use it's about a student or a just qualified student sort of descent into criminality based on her crippling student loans which they put on people in america i don't want to give any more sort of spoilers away about it or anything it's very well raced on rotten tomatoes which is the link i've put in the show notes 94 percent from the critics and 79 percent by the audience that's a bit high for me it was it was a very watchable film but it's not something i'd rush rush to visit again other than aubrey plaza's performance so she's an actress that's been in lots of things probably most famously from parks and recreation she is terrific she gets to shine a little bit. From this. It's good to see her. She's got the star quality. I don't think it did as well at the box office, as people might have thought. But if you're looking for just a good, solid crime drama, I think this is this is a very watchable film.
1: Okay. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 94%, but the audience only gave it 79 So it sounds like you concur with the audience there. It looks interesting. I have seen the posters around quite a bit, actually, I must say, but I've not seen the trailer for this one. So I need to find more time in the day.
0: Well, I had good reason for being at home a lot. So I'm, I'm quite glad I, f- I spent it profitably, not thinking about work and trying to do something else. But So I, d- I don't feel any of this was time wasted. It's good to have caught up on a few things. It's good to have rewatched some stuff. It's good to have not wasted my time watching Echo 3, which is sort of my takeaway from this, is avoid it like the play.
1: No, yeah, that's fair enough. And yeah, it is nice sometimes when you've got the excuse to binge a bit of TV. I think.
0: Good. That does for media, unless you've got anything I've missed.
1: I've watched so little.
0: Fair enough. Well, I've played very little this week. I haven't been able to sit in front of the computer, so what's happened for me has happened largely in front of the PlayStation. I downloaded a play, a Space Hulk Tactics, which must have been something that was in one of the monthly offers at some point. It's rubbish. <laughs> Don't bother with that. It lasted all the 25 minutes on my PlayStation before I switched it off. It's kind of a a mix of a tactical. You can place your Space Marines on this ship somewhere, and then you get a movement section, and it's turn-based, and in, but in, in, in first-person perspective... It really doesn't work well. It's like a wannabe XCOM done extremely badly. Avoid.
1: So the one PlayStation game you mentioned, I thought, great, well, I was going to recommend to me for my PlayStation. He's always going about Steam. And you'll tell me, don't bother. Don't bother. Fantastic.
0: But I can recommend Slay the Spire, which you can get on your PlayStation, which I played a lot more often. it's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got it on my phone, and that's probably about as far as I've gone with it. I should... <laughs> Need to find the more time. I barely played, it. I haven't even really played threes this week, so that, that's certainly saying something. But I did play Gran Turismo 7 and I booted it up and said, like, Oh, there's an update out. And I actually sat and watched the update. Normally, I think the PlayStation got it really good in that it seems to update everything and I don't even notice, but it downloaded the three gig file and then I had to install it, do all that. And I thought, Oh, I thought it'd just be a patch, but actually, you now I've got three new cars and a new track in Michigan, and I thought that's fantastic. And the cars were quite cool. Actually, there was a BMW M2, which is a car I always hanker after there was a sierra cosworth which being an 80s kid was just a bit nostalgic for me and then the other one was a nissan something or other i'm not really up on my nissans but i thought it was great updating it's free they are continuing and i know a lot of people play online but even though for those of us that don't play online they are continuing to keep adding to the game and i i spent about 70 pounds on this game and six months later, i'm still getting good value for money out of
0: it I deleted it to make room for Space Hawk Tactics. I think you made the wrong decision. (laughs) I think I made the wrong decision. I definitely made the wrong decision. i got to say, it's nice that they're updating it, and I did enjoy doing it. I I completed it as much as it was at the time. I don't feel a huge compunction to go back and keep playing it, though. It's not a five-minute game, and it's not something I'm going to invest a lot of time in at this point. It's sort of a weird middle ground for me.
1: I can't explain it. I play so few games, but yet, for some reason, it's just clicked, and... I quite enjoy it. I can go. I'm, I've been doing some licenses lately. I just beat your score, actually, which was quite pleased with myself and our, one of our mutual friends. And I got to the top of this. I was going to send you both a picture. But I was just doing the licenses and I quite enjoy some of the licenses. I'm trying to get gold on them. And, you know, you've got to do 40 seconds of track perfectly. And I, I've been quite enjoying that because you can have 20 goes at it and you've actually not burnt a huge amount of time. So, well, no, it's clicked for me. I can't explain it.
0: So now you've told me that I'm going to have to download it again and make sure I get my time back yeah it's on the licenses I and mean, i do
1: like it on the licenses and things that you can see what your friends have done if you're, if you're friends with them they're playing the same game that is quite neat and it's not too invasive so it's enough for me i want to see what my mates are doing but i don't really want to race against them because i'm rubbish all of that but i think it's good and they've done loads more with the multiplayer side of it but the free updates that they keep pouring into it i think are very good so i'm enjoying it and i easily have got 70 pounds worth of value and my son has got easily 70 pounds worth of value so i'd be grudging spent the money but actually think it's actually delivered and it's been on sale recently i think it's probably in the black friday sale
0: fair enough no i think it's it is a quality game it looks fantastic you've got a ps5 and a nice tv it's nice and bright it's not 120 frames per second as we've talked about before but it does look terrific so and let's face it i did get a good seven, eight, nine, ten hours of play out of it when it, when I originally bought it, so it's not, it's not going to waste and it is there in the background, but it's, like I say, it's not my go-to when I fire up PlayStation.
1: It's my kind of, I'm a big car guy, so I like my cars. I don't know why, it just seems to have clicked with me, and I do like that I can just do half an hour on it, and I feel like I've achieved something. And normally in that time, I would have won a trophy or got some more money in my bank account. You know, I'd, I'd have progressed forward in a, in a meaningful way. And they keep adding more, you had to do menu books when we first got it. They've added some more of those in. And I, I don't know, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm going back around and, and filling some tracks where I haven't got first and I got third or something. And just things like that, I, I don't know. It seems to click for me.
0: I may have talked about this at the time. I think the thing that puts me off later on in the game is I don't want to play with the big fast cars. I don't want to play with a McLaren, whatever, or a Testarossa. I want to play with a Sierra Cosworth, you know, and race other cars of that sort of ilk. If that makes sense, I've got no real desire for the really shiny stuff, the really fast stuff. I want to play with real cars, and that's the bit I always enjoyed most about Gran Turismo, was doing the licenses. And racing cars I recognized and potentially could drive would have a realistic chance of driving around a track. That was far more fun in concept.
1: I'd agree with that. I don't enjoy the really fast cars that much because I just haven't got the reactions for it. They're just too fast for me, I think. And there's lots of concept stuff in there. And there, there is a lot of concept cars in there. I've tried and stay away from that. I think I'm like you. I probably do the slightly slower races with the more attainable cars that you actually see on the road, whilst I may modify a few of them. And I don't understand enough about it. I, don't, I, don't, I really enjoy it. It's, it's clicked. And I wish I knew more about tuning them and all of that, because I'm sure that can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I don't know enough to touch the sliders. I just lighten this and bore out that. No, I've gone, is that going to put me over the PPP? Whatever that is, yeah, yeah. Anyway, good. I'm glad you're still getting the value for money out of it, and as I am from Slay the Spire. So, I think we can move on, and we'll have a relatively short main show, unless there's something I missed.
1: No, let's do the main show, and um, it will be relatively short. I think we've gone a bit long on on everything
0: else. That's fine. That's fine. I'm 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 flagging, but we can get this done. So, main show. I thought two little topics that that I wanted to talk about, and I'm sure you'll have an opinion on. The first one is. We talked a couple of shows ago about Audible books and what you could do to liberate your Audible books because obviously they're yours because you've bought them. They're not yours because they're covered in DRM. And what happens if you want to back them up or play them on a non-Audible podcast player, Audible player, which I know you love the Audible player, but you know let's, let's not go into that in any very detail. So I went looking. So I haven't paid an Audible subscription in about 10 years at this point, but I do have 173 books, I think, in my Audible library of a variety of lengths going back for a period of time when i used to commute a lot and absolutely audible were great could i do anything with that so i looked in my amazon account and i found this piece of software called libation uh, which is primarily designed for windows it must be said the developer spent more time building a windows version of it than anything else but as i sort of dug around in it a bit, i found there's a beta linux client and a beta mac client so i got the installer I did a very small amount of jiggery Pokery to get it up and running. It was basically three terminal commands, I think, to get it up and running, which launched a window, not a native Mac window, but enough that I could see what was going on with it. I fed in my Amazon account to it, and it asked for the two-factor authenticator and everything. So that was fine. It's open-source software, so you're free to check out the code. It's not like it's locked behind anything. Anybody can go to GitHub and, and see what's going on with it. Quite brave of me, you might say. But, I, but you know what? From all the reports I'd read about it and the fact that it was open source code and all the rest of it, 1,500 people have commented on this code over time. It's kept relatively up to date. You know, the most recent change was six days ago at this point when we recorded this podcast. So it's active software on GitHub, which you can't say about all, all GitHub programs. Put in my code, clicked a button, downloaded in about an hour and 30 minutes on a gig connection. All my, podcast, all my books and stripped the DRM out as it did it. So after 90 minutes, I had my backed up Audible library on my NAS, done. I just thought, does that is that what you were thinking about when we were talking about Audible before? Or is that, have I gone off on a completely different track? And what do you think of the value of something of that is?
1: Uh, no, that's exactly what I was talking about. I'm happy to buy the books. I don't think I have any pirated content in my house, to be fair, anymore. So I'm happy to buy them. But no, it's more that the I was cheesed off with some of the Audible Player stuff, but they've since improved it. And I've got 204 Audible books I've just checked and a bunch of credits because I do I buy about, about 20 credits a year and you get them a lot cheaper. So no, that was exactly what I wanted to do. Can I do it in a really simple way? It sounds like you can, which is, is awesome. And it was more kind of like you to back them up. I kind of want to do the same with my iTunes music. Uh, music videos because I've got hundreds of those things and actually if it ever goes away how do I rip the content off so I don't need to you know so I've got it because I've paid for it I've legitimately paid for it and I want to enjoy it in you know 10 years from now
0: well this is it exactly I spent a lot of money on Amazon for the years I was subscribing to them I, I view them as my books I think Amazon must view them as my books because you know they let this to this day they let me download them and do whatever I want with them but they're not my books because they're wrapped in DRM and I'd always have to use that player to do it So all this is doing, I don't intend to share them with anyone. What I intend to do is keep them on my NAS so they're there. And now I can put them in my podcast player of choice and I can listen to them whenever I want. So as an experiment to myself, I'm going to do that. I am also going to have another go at the Castro podcast client because Marco's annoyed me to such an extent, actually, that I'm going to go off and try Castro rather than Overcast. I'm going to try and sideload one of these audiobooks into it and see how Castro treats the audiobook in line with my podcasts.
1: You should try sideloading one into Apple Books because I'm not sure if you can do that because that also has an Audible audio, audiobooks player in it. So you, I don't know if you can add your own content because you can add your own PDFs to Apple Books. You know, if you wanted to have your manual because I used to put my manuals in there for, think, for gadgets and TVs and ovens, but I don't know if you can put audio, your own audiobooks in
0: there. I don't know enough about Apple Books. I don't think I've ever launched Apple Books.
1: You must have done it at some point when it
0: first came out. In fact, is, is it still a thing? Is it What's it called? Apple Books?
1: It's called Books. Oh, it used to be iBooks, and then it became Books.
0: Well, you learn a thing every day. I probably have launched it back in the day, but I certainly well, haven't. You should
1: just try it, though. Can you sideload in an audiobook? I don't know. Like I said, I'm amazed you can do PDFs, and probably if they launched it now, you wouldn't be able to put your own PDFs in it.
0: I would, surely they wouldn't take that away. Like you say, I, I, it's, it's vaguely coming back to me that that was quite useful, the ability to take PDFs with you when you went here, there, and everywhere. And it was, in fact, I've opened books and all I've got in there is the Swift programming language 5.7 version. So there's something going on there.
1: There you go. And it was quite neat because you could stick a PDF in it and sync it to all your devices and you could download them and cache them. And
0: it, it was kind of cool in the day, but I haven't used it for a long time. All right, real-time follow-up, which is, makes for fascinating podcasting. If I drag the m4b file which is what this has left me with into apple books nothing happens i'm not surprised but oh, it was just a thought oh hang on hang on thinking about it i had to hover over it for a long period of time and now i've just got a little no that's not actually doing anything nope don't do that i'll try it in castro
1: all right you try in castro and report back
0: anyway the, the point of it was software and open source software that you can see the results of is available to do this kind of stuff. I haven't looked into the iTunes side of it at all, particularly video. I think it gets very a bit more sketchy with video. But certainly for audio, the things I feel I bought and a number of years ago, I've liberated from my library and it's backed up on my NAS, not in a Google Cloud or anything else like that. It's on my stuff for the future. So, Yeah,
1: the- I think it's a good idea.
0: So link in the show notes if anybody is interested and has an Audible account and wants to know how to back up your own stuff, not to share stuff with anyone else. This is not what this is for. This is for backing up your own stuff for your own personal usage. It worked really well. I was really impressed, actually, how how straightforward it was for three terminal commands. Yeah, that is cool. Cool. Moving on, and this is just something I, I want to glance off because I haven't really thought about it hard enough myself yet, really. It's more just in potential and for the future. It was to talk about Mastodon because I moved to Mastodon, or at least I'm trying out Mastodon as an alternative to Twitter. And what Mastodon runs on, which is a thing called the Fediverse, which is short for the Federated Universe. So this has obviously come about as a consequence of what's going on with Twitter and Elon and all the rest of it. And this started with, a okay, I remember having a Mastodon account from a few years ago. I couldn't remember what it was, couldn't find any passwords related to it, so I had to start again. And it sort of bears relation to if anybody's thinking of doing this, about how Mastodon differs from Twitter and fundamentally Mastodon differs from Twitter in that there isn't just a server. Twitter is you go to twitter.com, you create an account and that's it. So the company has control of all those Twitter accounts. Everybody goes there. It's just one place. It's very straightforward. You agree to their terms and service and then you're beholden to their terms of service. So when Elon comes along and makes his changes and annoys everybody, then everybody is equally annoyed, but he has the power to do that because it's controlled by one person. Mastodon has a decentralized server ethos, and this federated thing is that anybody can technically start a Mastodon server. So that makes it complicated when you go to create an account because you're not just rod at twitter.com or whatever my Twitter handle was, you know, you're rod at whatever Mastodon dot instance you're at at, whatever. So you get like a double at, you get the at for your username and then you get the at for your server instance. Sounds a bit more complicated than it is. Basically it boils down to you need to pick an instance that's available. So the biggest one is mastodon.social, which is where most people have gone up to now, but it's, it's stowed out. It's booked up. You can get on there. If you try, you can not create a raw at mastodon.social at the moment. Certainly when I was looking to it, cause they didn't have space to do so, but all these other instances talk to each other and I'll take a breath and let you ask a question at that point. Is that just because they're they're overwhelmed? It's, oh, a, it's closed. It's a little bit that they're overwhelmed, but also I don't. The point of it is not everybody should be on the same server. This is the point of this federated universe: is that if I decided that I wanted to start my own Mastodon server, I agree to like a code of conduct, it's not a terms of service as such, and I can start one. So, for example, Paul Haddad from Tapbots, who created the very first pool to refresh Twitter client, has moved lock, stock, and barrel to, to Mastodon. He's created his own Mastodon server for that that he can run on. So he can be Paul at mastodon.tapbots or whatever it is that he's created. It gives you that sort of flexibility. A, you could rely on something somebody that likes. So for example, I'm not giving any secrets away. I joined mastodon.scott because I happened to be looking for something and I'm Scottish and that, that's what came up for me. So that was fine. You know, I found that they were available. The fact that I'm on Mastodon.scot doesn't mean my posts can't be seen on Mastodon.social and I can't follow people on Mastodon.social. All the servers talk to each other and that's why it's federated. So if you lose one instance of Mastodon, then the others can take up the slack. And that's kind of the sort of resilient approach in nature to it. This federated universe thing is fairly, you know, it, it, it's it's an approach beyond just Mastodon. There's a YouTube equivalent to it called Peertube, I think. There's a publishing thing for pub- publishing blogs like Substack, where they give you an approach to it, but they don't take control over it. You know, the, it, the fact that the, the technology that it's built on is GPL, it's designed to have this federated models where you have got a number of instances that talk to each other, and it lets you do things that Twitter, for example, doesn't. So for example, if Mastodon.scot decides it doesn't like Mastodon.xxx if there was such a thing and it wants to bar all the users from that, it can just exclude them. So you can lose a whole bunch of people from that, but the idea is that they shouldn't do that. It, the, the community comes together in a very sort of more liberalized way, for want of a better word, than, than maybe Twitter would do. So you should... I'm not saying you'll see less of that. I think free speech is still incredibly important in this, and these things, you know, political speech or whatever, shouldn't be excluded from something. It should limit the swings that we saw on Twitter, though, and that's sort of my quite bad way of explaining sort of technology and the approach of Mastodon, you know, from that sort of way.
1: Hmm. I'm still confused. I think is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So you are Mastodon dot Scott. I go and say, I don't know any, I go Mastodon dot social, for example. I post some ink and I can follow you on master.scot and vice versa. So, okay, so you, we can all join different servers. I kind of get the idea of that. What happens if, for whatever reason, MasterDong.scott just disappears? like they, they close it down. What happens to your world? Does that all disappear?
0: Well, can you can... Ex- my,
1: can you export import into the next one?
0: Kind of. So on one level, yeah, absolutely. Your, server, your instance goes down, you're gone. But you can transfer your, your profile between instances relatively easily. So if I want to leave Mastodon.scot and go to Mastodon.social, there is an export-import routine. You can do that and you can just move everything over at that. All the other instances are informed that you've updated from Mastodon.scot to Mastodon.social. All your posts, all your followers, all that kind of stuff are preserved with you. And as part of the code of conduct, you're not meant to just take down an instance. You're meant to give your... The people who exist within your Mastodon instance notice of 28 days or three months or something like that, that it's going to happen, that you're going to shut the server down, so people can do this. But you can, of course, back up your profile at any point.
1: So that makes a bit more sense. So you're federating where the users are going and what they're posting. And then I guess if you follow me and I'm on a different instance to you, is there a bit of information on both instances that say that that's happening? Yep,
0: that's it, exactly. Interesting,
1: that, that's really helped how you've explained it because I was struggling to understand it, if I'm honest. I hadn't, I should have gone away and
0: looked into it a little bit more, but I just haven't had time. No, fair enough. And I have put some links into how the sort of Fediverse works and, and a little bit around that.
1: Do you, what do you think, though? Do you think Mastodon is going to, it's the only one that seems to be gathering traction with any real momentum. Do you think Twitter's days are numbered?
0: it's probably too soon to say there's still a lot of money in twitter and there's a lot of interest in keeping twitter alive for the bbc the american government you know political incumbents all the rest of it without all of them moving and i don't think the mastodon model works for advertisers it there's a very different feel to mastodon to using it which we can maybe talk about in another podcast or talk about in this podcast if we feel we've got time but the approach doesn't really work that sort of selling yourself thing it's a it's it's fundamentally a different thing. For example, the easiest way to put this is if you post a picture on Mastodon, it immediately wants you to fill in what is this picture so our blind users can see what's going on. Now, that approach is just so radically different from Twitter. You know, here's an image, deal with it as you will. So even from sort of the very first instances of using it, instances of pure use of English in this example, but you know, it's taking into account a whole different worldview that Twitter is. So it's not a like-for-like like analog for Twitter. Stephen Fry came to Mastodon the other day. You know, it was a big deal. He he shut his Twitter account, he moved to Mastodon. I followed him on Mastodon the same way I did uh, on Twitter back in the day. What he's posting feels different. The way he's going about it is different. It, it does promote more discourse. It promotes less, you know, brand X is, is hitting you with this, or you're getting ranting from this person. So far... that that i've seen on twitter so i i don't know that it is twitter i think it's his own thing it's it's close enough that you know if you squeeze your eyes a little bit you can kind of see you know a similar shape in the background but i think this federated model will create something different i don't think it's twitter but i'm watching it with interest i'm finding it quite a it's a different place to be
1: should i be signing up
0: i don't think it would hurt to experience it i think Those of us with children particularly, you know, should be aware of up and coming social trends. And, you know, if you work in technology, you need an understanding of what's going on. Maybe at some point it will be the replacement for Twitter, in which case your brand needs to be on there. And you need to understand how that's going to be perceived by people within the Fediverse or not. So I think it it behooves all of us who work in technology part of it to at least have a passing knowledge of what's going on in these other things. Now, that doesn't mean I think you should join everything, but the big possibly popular things which this at the moment certainly seems to be, you know, if I look at my list of tech people, we talked about people leaving Twitter and things before on this podcast, you know, Syracuse is on there. Mark Warman is on there. Casey Liss is on there. Paul Haddad is on there. You're you're beginning to see people within Mastodon that I recognize from Twitter that I can get a bit of a conversation going with again. So I haven't lost that interaction, that immediacy that you got with it. In amongst things from your instance. So I'm getting this most amazing sequence of photography of places in Scotland that I just wouldn't have seen before, you know, Glencoe in the dusk and deer over the moors and all the rest of it, because you kind of get that there's like a local feed for your instance. So whichever one you join, you kind of get that, what's going on within that as well. And I'm finding that really nice. It's quite calming. It's very different from the sort of push, 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 push of Twitter. It's more of a gently immerse yourself in something for a little bit and then you can leave it. I don't feel I have to be sort of refreshing my Mastodon account every five minutes. It just sort of flows over me a little bit. I'm finding it a lot more relaxing.
1: Do you think it will end up like Twitter?
0: Possibly. But that's the same question you asked me a minute ago. really. Is it, is it a replacement for Twitter? I, I don't think it is. I think it will end up in a different place. I think the only replacement for Twitter is something like Twitter. And this isn't exactly like Twitter. It's a different thing.
1: I beg to differ. I think there are two separate questions in that, is it a replacement for Twitter now? Because everybody's leaving and you still want to follow and have the community feel. But two, three, five years from now, could it end up being like Twitter is today, where it's full of ads and everybody's complaining about it and you know there's too many haters out there mentioning and all, all of that other stuff it sounds like what you're describing and i was never really on twitter from the early days like you were but it sounds like are described is what twitter used to be like
0: maybe to a certain degree but it, it does feel different from twitter did i think social networks are such diverse things that have a lifespan you know all of them you know friendster or whatever it was that was was friends reunited myspace myspace it, Bebo was a big one that was popular for a while you know all of them had a, a, a space and time that they were existed for i think this is what we're seeing with facebook now is the beginning of the death of facebook and we talked on the show two weeks ago i think potentially the death of social networks altogether maybe this sort of gentler slightly different approach for this market is the right thing for it it's it, it, instagram was never facebook was never whatsapp and i think Mastodon isn't Twitter. Like I say, if you if you if you squint at it, you can see some things that are the same, but using it feels very different, even to Twitter did back in the day.
1: Yeah, maybe I need to take a look. I I don't know if I want to have any social media accounts, so I'm I'm kind of on the fence whether actually I might close my Twitter one and i because I use it for a newsfeed. I could probably do that in
0: RSS and just get what I want. You probably could. So there's an argument in academia particularly that you have to be on social media because if you don't own your presence, somebody else might. And if you've got research to push forward or I don't want to use the word agenda, but I can't think of a better one right now. But if you've got something to say, it should be you that's saying it and not somebody pretending to be you or saying sort of kinds of things that might be likely to be you. So there is something to be said for being present on these platforms for that reason.
1: And now I can see it, and I think it does depend on... It depends on what you're on there for. If you're on there for work purposes, or you're on there for social purposes, or you're on there just for fun or interests. So my reason for being on Twitter is more just to have a feed and follow people that I maybe listen to on a podcast or see on TV or, you know, are involved in sport. People I don't know is generally how I use Twitter. And just as a news feed, I didn't really talk to anybody, I didn't like anything. It was just more that I had a feed. I have LinkedIn generally for people I know, and that's people that i will connect with and i only connect to people that i've spoken to whether it's a a partner at work whether it's something i work with whatever it may be but again that's that's people in my workspace and then if people i want to socialize with i text them it's very old school but that's that's how i operate that's kind of my three separate pools on the venn diagram they don't really overlap they're just three separate buckets i don't know why i don't know if that's old school or I've just never really been a social media person. But I also take your point, you should be aware of what's going on on social media because my children are going to start going on it in a few years and then I'll need to start worrying about how I police it and make sure they're okay and all those other things.
0: Yeah. All of those things are valid. I don't think you have to be on social media, particularly depending on what you do. You may have absolutely no interest in being on social media because you get that whatever it is, be it the social contact from texting or, or your news from net newswire, or or something like that. So yeah, I think you can find what you want to do in, in whatever aspect it was useful, but there is value. It, I don't think whatever avenue you do, be it net newswire or whatever, it doesn't devalue having something else like a Mastodon or like a Tumblr or whatever it is else you choose to consume some method of social discourse even if it just gives you an insight into how the other half live, you know what I mean? That there is a, a different perspective and I think we should always be open to, this is me and my academic you know, viewpoint coming over, you should be aware of how other people are thinking because you need to check yourself a lot of the time. You shouldn't just consume your, your news from the BBC or ITV or the Independent or the Times. You need a mix of things and we've talked about that on this show before that I think you need that healthy balance and you shouldn't restrict yourself to the, what the algorithm gives you because let's face it, both Twitter and Facebook restrict to the algorithm doesn't shuffle you into that kind of bucket it does shuffle you on who you follow but that's on you to choose something that i think gives you that balance but maybe that's just my weird political leanings i don't know but uh, that's my that's my perspective so i'm immersing myself in mastodon to a certain degree
1: uh, no i agree with you i think you do you do need to know about the outside world very often i'm going to work and I talk to my colleagues And it's generally about something I've seen in the outside about how another company is doing something or have we ever thought about doing it like this because I read about this and trying to take on board other people's views. And it's the same within work, isn't it? You talk to your colleagues and they might give you a different way of thinking about something or doing something or tackling a problem or proposing a solution. I'm a big fan of it. I just, I don't know. For me, I was trying to get the right balance so I don't just lose myself into social media. And I guess I've always tried to do that. Fair enough.
0: Good. That, that, was, that was me on the Fediverse. Maybe we'll revisit that at another point. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to see where it goes.
1: I liked your explanation of it, though, because I hadn't really understood it. And I think you've really helped me to get my head around it. And I've listened to a few podcasts talking about it, but I still didn't really get it. And I think, yeah, that's really helped. Good. Glad to help.
0: So moving on, I've got an app of the week this week, which won't surprise anybody based on what we've just talk, been talking about. And it's called Metatext. It's a Mastodon client for iOS. It's open source if you want it to be, so you can visit their GitHub page as well, link in the show notes, or you can get it on the App Store. At link if you, if you visit on an Apple device, it'll pull up the relevant page, and you can log in there with your... Mastodon instance and your username, which hopefully my explanation has helped with. It's really good. It's quite like, but not entirely like a a Twitter app, which isn't a surprise really. You know, there's only so many ways you can do those things. I haven't said actually the sort of major differences to somebody coming from Twitter to Mastodon is you have 500 characters to post with. They're called toots and not tweets, but everything else pretty much works the way you'd expect it to. You can follow people, you can make lists, you can do all that sort of stuff. And MetaText, I thought, was just nicer than the official Mastodon app. So that's my recommendation this week, MetaText.
1: Uh, Looks really good. It supports the iPad and it looks very clean. It does look nice.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite well written. And again, open source. If you want to write your own Mastodon app based on this, you can visit their GitHub page and you can check it out and you can see what's going on there. If any of you are off a developer bent,
1: yeah, I think that is one promising thing because obviously Twitter didn't, they had a great story with developers and took things away, brought things back. They they were getting better, I think, but who knows where we're going to end up in the future. So Marston does... I I do wonder if Marston's going to win out, but it's going to be really interesting though because what happens if this will be the first time a social media solution will go away really that is used by people like the BBC and they put it on their news feeds and their journalists have got their own profiles and all that how long do you think between now and insert number here? Do you think it's going to be until you see a journalist doing a an article and their Twitter handle isn't there anymore and it's replaced by a Mastodon handle? We're
0: in do danger going back. We're in danger going back into the main show here. Based on my app of the week, but that's okay. It's a very difficult thing to say. Personally, I think the evolution of walled gardens and I include Facebook in this have been very bad for the open internet. In the sense that you, people used to have a site or a blog. If you want to see what they had to say, you could visit them there and get it. Businesses would be the same. If you want to buy widget X, you'd visit widgetx.com and you'd buy the thing. The move to Facebook, encouraging people to have Facebook marketplaces to do this. I think was extremely harmful, you know, for for, for those for those brands and for those people because you had to visit them inside of somebody else's walled garden to do it. This feels to me like it's opening that back up again. If you want your own instance, you can. You can put your stuff on there, you can run it yourself, you can do all those kinds of things. It's an open standard to do so. So I hope this is kind of redressing that balance. There's no reason the BBC couldn't have their own instance, you know, uh, and do that within this. So, you know, it feels like it's redressing a more open version of what the web Should be rather than what the web has become. I don't know if it's there because for most people it's too nerdy, too geeky. They're not going to do it. But it's not that hard to create an an account in this instance. It's not that hard to start your own blog anymore. So I hope this is this is better, really, than a Facebook or a Twitter. Fundamentally,
1: I was about to say the same. I wonder if BBC would ever set their own instance, and then they own it, don't they? And there is that benefit if you're a big corporation, you can own your destiny a little bit more. So it's very interesting. And equally, I wonder at work. Will we start doing Master where I work? We do LinkedIn, we do Twitter, we do TikTok. You know, it depends on the brand, but we, we've got all these different outlets. What be interesting to see is mastermind going to slowly start creeping in. Um, I, I haven't mentioned it to my wife, but I'm curious to know when it creeps into her world. If she, you know, she does a lot more social media activity than I do, and I wonder if it will creep into her world or not. So it'd be,
0: be really interesting. It is interesting because the next generation my children, this isn't TikTok or Snapchat, is it? You know, that's 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 that's. Is this just something that will never cross their paths? I don't know. Will it ever cross your children's paths? Is it something that's just destined for those of us who like Twitter and are looking for an alternative? But it does feel this Fediverse thing. It feels like there's a lot more there to it, but also it might suffer from the open standards thing. Linux has always been almost there, almost coming, and unless it's in the server space where what it, where it's winning, it's not been a thing. So this could just be one of those technical technological hedges that just goes away or only nerds use after a while. We'll see. Yeah, I'm curious though. I am curious to see where we end up with it. Definitely. There we go. I think we can call that show. Unless you've got a recommendation?
1: No, sadly, I haven't got any new apps. We really talked about ReadKit, which I'm just toying with. Maybe, maybe next week, Net NewsWire will be in my recommendation
0: of the week. <laughs> That'd be great. Brilliant. Okay, good show, Chris. Yeah, thank
1: you, Rod. Sorry, we've gone a bit long. And if anybody wants to get in contact, please email us at wakefromsleep at or reach out still on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Maybe that will change to MasterDone in the future.
0: Brilliant. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers,
1: Rob.